I'm Jeannie. I'm Rachel. And I'm Nikki from Tyrion's Landing. A podcast member of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the one you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And get ready because geekiness begins in... Three, two, one... Hello! Welcome to Head in the Cloud. I'm your host, John Svazik. This is episode 10 for 2017. So on today's episode, we are going to go back and revisit DevOps, because why not? Uh, DevOps is, for those who are in the cloud, and if you remember from a couple of episodes ago, uh, I did a very brief overview of DevOps. I talked about some of the tools, Chef and Puppet and whatnot. Uh, but we didn't really go into the nuance of, of DevOps and specifically from a security perspective. So we're going to rectify that in today's episode. And naturally, since I didn't necessarily do the best bang up job on the last episode, I've got myself an expert. So for today's uh, episode, we've got Archie uh, Agarwal. Apologize if I massacred your last name, Archie. But oh, that's good. Oh, good stuff. Uh, and, and specifically, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a look at uh, secure DevOps and rugged DevOps, or DevSecOps, as some people tend to call it. Um, so yeah, Archie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. So can you tell us a bit about yourself? Tell us where you are, what you do, what pays the bills, so to speak. Sure. Uh, so I'm a CEO and founder of Threat Modeler. Uh, we are a threat modeling company. I've been in cybersecurity for more than uh, 12 years now, and uh, one of the things that I realized very early is that threat modeling ultimately is going to drive secure software development. And um, what I did was um, I joined a few startups uh, like White Hat Security and all that, and then I started my own company in 2010. And we started working on a product called Threat Modeler. In 2011, we came out with a proof of concept. We gathered feedback from various Fortune 1000 companies as to what would they like to see in a threat modeling product. And so now we are um, we have a fourth generation product, very mature. Uh, we have a lot of Fortune 1000 companies as our customers. Uh, and we've also enabled uh, like we, when we started, it was mostly web and mobile applications. Now, Threat Modeler supports cloud applications and IoT and embedded applications as well. So, because we're seeing a lot of push um, to the cloud, and companies are struggling to figure out uh, <clears throat> how can they ensure and be confident that when they move to the cloud, it's uh, deployed securely and their data is uh, secured um, on the cloud. So. There's a lot of interest we're seeing from a lot of uh, large organizations. And, um, well, Threat Modeler is uh, doing pretty good now. Ah, excellent. Yeah, I'll make sure that we get a link uh, to Threat Modeler's website uh, as well in the show notes for people that want to take a closer look into uh, services that you guys offer. So, sweet. Okay, so let's let's just dive in. Um, so... 
we're going to talk about DevSecOps and rugged dev uh, rugged DevOps. Are they the same thing? Um, on a high level, if you say they both talk about security in DevOps, yes. But they both have a very different approach. If you look at the traditional waterfall approach that we have, one of the things that we learned over time was that, okay, we have to include security, that, okay, we've got these scanners that we have, like, towards the end after design, development, QA, then we go to security before we go to production. And we all realize that there is a lot of problem in that case because the scanning tools find a lot of issues which we have to go back and fix and you know all that stuff. Now, when companies move to DevOps, which is to kind of say they condensed all the processes, different stages, and put it into one, um, kind of kick the architecture, design an architecture out, let's just do that as a whiteboarding exercise, but let's jump into development right away and you know, so that we can kind of uh, dish out code faster. So, of course, people started talking about security and they're like, okay, how do we handle security in a DevOps process? So that's where the DevSecOps and Rugged DevOps came in. Uh, in Rugged DevOps, it's again the same traditional approach in a sense that you do security towards the end, you've developed the code, and now let's start, you know, kind of attacking the code, you know, so to speak. Let's start identifying security vulnerabilities and go back and fix it and iterate the process until we can't find any more. So that's kind of what rugged DevOps is. <clears throat> DevSecOps is a little bit more uh, mature approach where you're starting to look at you know integrating security through every phase of your software development lifecycle. And so you start with a secure design. You make sure that the developers are building security into the code. You make sure during the QA process there are certain test cases related to security as well and maybe do some scanning. And then when you go to deployment, you make sure that it's securely deployed, data is secure, and all of that stuff. So from a process point of view, we're making sure that the security is in implemented across every stages. Now that's kind of on a higher level, you could say, that the difference between the two. Now, pros and cons. It's up to company to company, you know, uh, some people say, well, the rugged DevOps fits into our culture, um, and some people who are striving for maturity would say, all right, we're going to move to DevSecOps. We run into a lot of companies today who are looking at DevSecOps, making sure that their CICD security is integrated with, you know, uh, taking security as a part of their whole CICD pipeline. Um, start with a threat-centric approach. So when you're in the design phase, identify all the threats, and then all the relevant security controls are provided to the developers, so they make sure that they're building security into the code. Um, if you want to integrate with, you know, your tools like Jira, so they can open security requirements as a user story, and it gets assigned to somebody, they incorporate it, and then you have test cases to verify those threats, so now we know that, yes, the threats that we identified have been properly mitigated, and then you go to you know, your security deployment. From a process point of view, um, it might appear that the DevSecOps will take longer because we are looking at security through every stage, but actually it's a lot faster because now you don't have to wait till the end to find out what the issues are and then go back and fix it and then iterate it. So it's the same uh 
challenges that we had in a waterfall approach that, oh, now we want to be proactive. Why? Because we want to know what those threats are early in the SDLC because it saves cost. Um, I don't remember the name of the person, but there was a quote which says that if you identify an issue in your design stage it, um, <clears throat> or if you identify it in the production stage, it costs you 30 times more in the production stage. So that's kind of the basic principle. So more mature companies are moving towards DevSecOps now because, because not only are you looking at it to be proactive, but it comes out to be cheaper and faster um, and more stable code. Uh, through the DevSecOps process. Right, right. Yeah, that's that was kind of my understanding as well. So uh, like the rugged DevOps is the more traditional, I'm, I'm like you said, it's the waterfall. We get to that last stage and maybe we'll deploy into a staging environment. Then I'm going to unleash my red team on it and I'm going to do the traditional pen testing and let me go see what's what's going on. But then obviously stuff is found now all of a sudden it's got to go back into that cycle and depending on how severe it is that might be a major architectural change that needs to be implemented in order to get around it now all of a sudden schedules are slipping things aren't working out as well so you have two options one is oh we'll fix it in the next release i love that or one. <laughs> let's go back and fix it neither of that happens no that's exactly <clears throat> it that's that's the classic developer's dilemma we'll get back to it eventually i'll put a to do in here don't yeah. don't worry i'll put uh my xxx uh comment in there so that i'll be able to find it later and you know when i have time to go back and and clean up oh that unit test no problem i'll go back and and get to that and the next thing you know you're off into uh another career and then oh yeah I guess I should have done Who something about that, that last Who time. Who wrote that? Um, what was it about? I don't know. Right, exactly. And it, I, I, you know, personally, I haven't heard much about rugged DevOps. It was something that when I was doing some of the research in terms of how DevOps, uh, like traditionally the work that we've done at my existing company when it comes to DevOps is much closer to the DevSecOps, where security is baked into the entire process. And I mean, you touched on it with the CI CD uh, model where you have potentially 100 deploys a day waiting until everything is kind of put into this giant ball of mud that you want to push out and then do your testing at that time. That's going to slow down your process pretty hard. So two things I'll tell you based on what I've seen in the industry today. Right, so I have seen companies who are today employing rugged DevOps. And so they use these static analysis code, uh, scanning tools and, and you know, uh, pen testing and all that. Now, one of the common issue pretty much with most of these companies I've seen is, oh, we, we did this and we ran the static analysis and we found a list of issues. Now, we all know static analysis tools gives you a lot of noise. Now, now you have to go back. Somebody from security team has to prioritize because the developer says, hey, you know, I can't do it all. Give me your top 10, right? If you're going to look for top 10, why are you waiting till the end? You could have done a threat model, identified the threats, and given it to the developers and say, look, as long as you take care of these, don't worry about what comes out of the static analysis because I told you what threats are relevant to us. 
and you fix those in your code. So when the static analysis tool, whatever they find is going to be low priority issues and we don't really worry about it right now. You know, we can prioritize it. But if you're going to wait till the end, and this is a common theme across most of the companies I've spoken with, and, and I'm talking Fortune 500 companies, majority of them, it's a common theme. And that is why they are all looking at uh, a threat-centric approach now because it has just, it's just not working. Because you run a scan, you find the issues, but they're going to keep going into the next release and the next release and the next release because nothing is going to get fixed because it's just way too much noise to sort through. No, for sure. So... Obviously, you know, when we're talking about DevSecOps, it's it's a lot more than just having... So DevOps kind of came, like you said, it came from this world of developers and IT personnel that were formerly known as build masters in some organizations uh, and kind of merged into this singular role that we now call DevOps engineers. And we've got all these great tools like Puppet and Chef that help us push these things out. But when we talk about the the security side of that, um, obviously it's it's now it's grown more. So so we have a lot more team involvement. You know, can you give us an overview in terms of what are some of the team members that would be involved in a in a DevSecOps process as opposed to just a traditional DevOps, which is you know the developer who happens to have root access on the servers they're deploying to in the cloud. <laughs> That's funny because that's true. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that I did that originally, but I'm saying that I did that originally. So what I have seen um, in the industry, and I've got two different flavors. One is that you have the security team that gets involved with your DevOps team, and then they are so-called like, okay, they are going to lead the process and all that. But then I've also seen companies where they're saying, I don't want security teams to be a part of a DevOps team. We are more of a governance and guidance team. And we want to make sure that the developers can take care of security themselves. Now, there's a huge challenge. Well, developers are developers. They're not security experts. So how do we help them, right? So some companies said, okay, let's educate them on security and let's train them on, you know, uh, threat modeling and um, and let them do threat modeling and that way it all drives the whole process. But it's not easy. It's not easy. They're not security experts. They're not. Uh, their job is not to continuously research on not the new security vulnerabilities and all that. It's not their job. Their day job is coding, and that's the priority. So, and which is where Threat Modeler, I mean, we, our whole thing behind that was take the knowledge of security away from anyone who's building a Threat Model. So, <clears throat> if you think about it, if I can build an architecture diagram and there's a tool which gives me all the no potential threats for that, and along with that, it gives me the list of security requirements and test cases, well, that's it. That's all I need. I don't have to worry about threats. I don't need to worry about what security requirements needs to be implemented. I build an architecture diagram, and the tool did its magic and gave me everything that I need to do for my development, for my QA, and for my deployment. 
And that's kind of uh, what we're seeing um, more and more companies are moving towards. Because otherwise, you're going to have to build an army of security specialists again. And that's just impossible. And especially today when you have so much shortage of cybersecurity professionals, especially in AppSec and threat modeling space. Um, plus, if you look at large banks, right? I mean, if you take Chase's and Citibanks of the world, you know, they've got 10,000, 20,000 applications or more, right? How are you going to handle that kind of a scale volume? You have to decentralize it. You have to make it as a self-service model, which is where developers um, and the architects and the ops team come together. They know, they build the architecture diagram, they build the deployment diagram, they get all the information that they need from a security perspective. And the security team is just providing governance and guidance and making sure that they're doing it right. And if they're not, sit down, explain to them, no, this is how you do it. That's the only way you can have um, a successful, you know, I don't want to call it DevSecOps or Rugged DevOps in this case, but that's how you can implement security throughout your DevOps process, whichever way you want to do it, because Rugged DevOps ultimately is the same failed traditional approach where, you know, let's just beat it towards the end before it goes to production, and then you have the business beating down your neck because, hey, I have a timeline, time to market pressure, push, push, push. Um, and so that's that's kind of the whole thing. That's what we are seeing in the industry. That's where the shift is. And uh, I think a lot of companies are seriously trying to figure out how can they get it right and how can they get it in, in their developers to actually do it right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's something that I've been noticing as well is sort of this the traditional view of separation of concerns and you know, separation of duties where you would traditionally have you know the person defining the security rules and controls and the person that's implementing the security rules and controls with the rise of of devops very much like you used to have the developer that was responsible for the code and then you'd have the it person or a build master responsible for deploying that code those have merged and likewise with security, uh, security seems to have merged as well. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that the, even with the merging, that doesn't necessarily bring us away from the uh, separation of duties uh, concern. There still needs to be some level of uh, separation of, of duties uh, to some degree, at least, because you can't have one person with all the keys to the kingdom because that, Nothing could possibly go wrong if that happened. See, this, you, you've actually opened a, a, a Pandora's box over there. Separation of duties is what was partly debated, discussed, and, and implemented because it was crucial. Um, and then came the push to DevOps where what separation of duties? Now, now, and I've seen companies where they're saying, look, developers are going to be deploying to the cloud themselves. And what separation of duty? I mean, are you saying they're going to have access to production data? Well, how else are they going to deploy it? So, well, let's just leave that topic for now because I think we've got bigger fish to fry here by talking about, look, you got to do security. 
um, separation of duties, yes. And, and I think it's day will come when we talk about separation of duties in DevOps, which again, I think will lead us back to the waterfall. Yeah, that's that's kind of why I raised it. I, it was sort of the uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna poke that bear that's sitting in the corner, kind of quietly, <laughs> yeah. especially for for people that are. Yeah. It, it's you funny. Did a good job of it too. <laughs> well, it it's funny because this is something that that you know I have experienced myself, where we we brought on uh, a, a strict DevOps engineer. And while I was running most of the security program at the company that I'm at now, um, I also did a lot of the DevOps work as well. And during the interview with him, he said, how do you do that? You should be like constantly fighting with yourself. And I said, I have a mirror on my desk and every so often I'll just, you know, look at the mirror and start arguing with myself about how we're going to do this. And depending on the mood that I'm in at the time, you know, maybe the DevOps John wins and maybe the security uh, John wins. But it is it is a dichotomy that's uh, and it's it's sort of this this inner turmoil, and this inner conflict that I'm very much aware of. But the concern that I have is especially for listeners that are new to the cloud, new to DevOps and those that are coming into it, they don't see what the problem is. They'll look at it as being this is this is so much easier. Sure, I can I can set up a couple of firewalls here. I can make sure that I'm scrubbing inputs here. I'm going to set up a WAF over here. And yeah, you know what? I've got my three other developers that are over here. They're going to help me keep the system up. So everybody gets root access or everybody gets administrator access on my environment. Let's also put a 0.0.0.0 in the security group so they can access it from anywhere they want. Yeah, give me that any any rule on my firewall so that everything to everywhere for all the time. Please listeners don't do that. Just just don't. Just say no to 0.0.0.0/0. Say no to any uh any any. Just don't don't just don't spend the time. Take a look at what's going on. Do the threat modeling, for God's sakes. Uh, and, you know, if you're in need of help with threat modeling, I know a guy. He's got a company. Pretty good at it. You know, he's got some Fortune 1000 customers. Might be worth uh, taking a look into. You know, I think, uh, Archie, I think threat modeling is definitely something that I would like to cover in a future podcast for sure. Um, so we can talk about that afterwards and see, uh, maybe we can get you back on, uh, cause it's definitely something that I think a lot of people, especially when they're new to moving out into the cloud or just not even necessarily the cloud itself, the cloud seems to be the more popular because people are much faster with it. So I think very much with most things, most things with security, the more, you know, the better armed you are and the more paranoid you become. But uh, the the better for everyone uh, yeah, when that happens. You know, I wish someone would have told the GOP that. But oh, <laughs> that was that was low. That was oh, you low. let the cat out of the bag, man. Oh, I'm Canadian. I don't even care about this <laughs> stuff. But it bothers me from a professional perspective. Just come on. Uh, anyway, that was bad. That was uh, bad. I couldn't resist. It was. It's fresh in the news, and people are going to listen to this three months from now. What are you talking about? Oh yeah, the collective mindset is uh, collective long-term memory is actually very, very short. So, but uh, we won't dwell on that topic. That was that was just mean. 
So, so Archie, uh, going back to the whole DevOps and, and integrating with security and everything else, would there be any advice that you would give to to people that maybe maybe they're new to DevOps? Um, what would be some of the things that you would you would recommend that maybe if they wanted to shore it up a bit? Um, what sort of steps they would take or what sort of checklists or processes they might want to consider uh, investigating, at least in the uh, the initial steps? See, one of the things I always promote um, is threat-centric approach. And here's the philosophy behind it. If you look at the traditional approach of, you know, scanning the code and scanning the uh, and black box testing and all that, which happens after the code is written and the functional testing is done, um, it always gets left behind. The second thing is, um, the bigger challenge with them is, like a lot of these companies have a very mature scanning pen testing process, and yet they get hacked, right? Why is that? Because you don't know what it looked for. You don't know uh, your the threshold of that scanner, whether it's too many false positive, too many false negative. Um, <clears throat> so my challenge had always been with, with like, I don't know what they look for, and it gives me a false sense of security that, yeah, it didn't find anything, so I'm good. Um, threat-centric approach actually helps you focus. It tells you what threats are relevant, what <clears throat> you are worried about, and what you need to do to make sure that they're properly taken care of in your code. And once that happens, and you get to the scanning phase, you know, you just have to ver validate or verify that those threats that I identified have been properly mitigated, and that's it. This way, at least you know the security posture of your application you know that these were the threats that were important to me and I have tested for those and I know that they have been properly taken care of. It gives you a sense of security what it is today as opposed to just hoping that a scanner did its job um, and which we've seen in so many companies' case that they typically don't. Plus, scanners usually look for just the technical vulnerabilities. They don't look at the architectural vulnerabilities. I mean, if you look at some of the hacks where I can just change a number around and get it to somebody else's account, the scanners are not gonna do that for you, right? Mm -hmm. But that's what you look at it from a threat-centric approach and say, how do I make sure somebody else doesn't get into my account? So that's um, another thing. Third, which is a really important point, is if you just hope, uh, if you're just relying on scanners, scanners look for your applications in isolation. They're just focusing on scanning your application. And I think these developers or security guys or anybody has to kind of say, is this application just talking to itself or is it just working in isolation? Or are we connecting to these applications? Or are we connecting single sign-on? Or do we have microservices at the back end? Or, or you know, we're talking to other third-party vendors and this and that. Once you start building the big picture, you will realize that threats related to other shared components could also impact your application. And what are you doing to make sure that, you know, your application, you know, is not impacted by those things? Scanners don't tell you the, the complete picture. That's why a threat-centric approach is 
the key here. And that's why I think a lot of companies who've been burned in the past 10 years have matured to a point that they have started to build a threat modeling process because it's become important for them to look at it from an enterprise perspective too. Excellent. Okay. Well, this has been incredibly informative and incredibly useful for sure. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add, Archie? Or I mean, I can talk uh, all day long <laughs> on threat modeling and well, and I want you back, so I'm not. I'm not going to. But I think our <laughs> let's just keep it short and sweet for our our audience for now, oh, and for we can sure. always follow up with you know on threat modeling and threat assessments and threat analytics and. Threat intelligence, I mean, all the buzzwords. Oh, I sent so many episodes, which is awesome because, you know, security is, is one of these great topics. It is uh, sort of like the old Dungeons and Dragons bag of holding where <laughs> you think that, you know, it can't possibly go any deeper. And then next thing you know, oh, yes, it can. Oh, oh, yes, yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you, Archie. This has been incredibly informative. Uh, greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, so if people wanted to reach out and uh, get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, just send me an email, um, archie at threatmodeler.com. Our website is www.threatmodeler.com, and I'll, I'll send you both the details in an email as well. Perfect. And I'll make sure to get those details up on the show notes. So anyone listening, uh, you can just take a look at the show notes and we'll go from there. Uh, as for myself, you guys can reach me on Twitter at uh, John's Not Here. Um, you can find me on Peerlist. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, the website for the podcast is uh, myheadinthe.cloud because uh, we're going to have that .cloud domain because why not? Uh, have a little fun with that and the podcast itself is on itunes stitcher uh what else are we on we're on itunes T stitcher play store uh we are you could be able to find the episode as well on the uh pod chaser uh website which is this new website for tracking uh podcast episodes and whatnot very similar to stitcher uh, but it allows you to also drive down to the uh episode level to to see what's trending in a particular topic as well so that's pretty cool uh we have an invite link for that uh, special invite code if they still have codes for people to get in uh that'll be in the show notes as well and what else i think that's pretty much it uh oh we're on the gunna geek uh, network as well the podcast network that's new uh, so take a look at some of the other Gunna Geek shows. Um, we'll have links for everything. You would have heard that in the pre-roll as well from some of the other guys on the Gunna Geek network. Anyway, with that, Archie, thank you again for coming on. Uh, looking forward. I definitely will have you back on because, well, quite frankly, you're an excellent guest and you've got a lot more knowledge than I do, which uh, is great for me because it means I don't have to talk as much. <laughs> that's funny thank you john all right thank you archie and for everyone else uh thanks for listening stay safe and have a great week